On January 3rd, this may sound crazy if, if you're new to church to say the Lord spoke, but on January 3rd, I'm driving to Atlanta, and I felt God speak to me and say, I want to talk to you about the potter's wheel. I want to talk to you about the wheel that I have my sons and daughters on to do something special in their life. And so if you're in the room today, anybody been in a season of life lately or maybe before, or if you're not there, you'll be there eventually, where you ask the question, God, what's going on right now? Anybody? If you've been in a season, well, that's a lot of us. If you've been in a season where you say, God, I don't know what you're doing, or maybe you're in a season of pain, or maybe you're in a season of confusion, or maybe you're just in a season where you're like, I have dreams in my heart, but I'm in the place where I got dreams, but the destiny hasn't come, or I got pain, but the healing hasn't come, or I have visions in my life, but they've not been fulfilled yet, or maybe you're just in a place where you're like, I know there's more to life. Can I tell you, God speaks directly into that situation today. And just turn to your neighbor and say, it's a process. It's a process. If you've lived life long enough, you know from point A to point B is always a process, right? And God in the book of Jeremiah chapter 18 speaks into this process. And if you have your Bibles, you know, we'll have it on the screen in just a moment if you don't have your Bibles with you. But if you're new to church, Jeremiah is a prophet in the Old Testament. This is about 600 BC, about 600 years before Jesus comes on the scene. And the tribes of Israel have split. We have the northern kingdoms, 10 of the tribes. Then we have the southern kingdom of Judah, two tribes. And God raises up a faithful prophet named Jeremiah. And he gives Jeremiah a message to the southern tribes of Israel. And he speaks to the process of, okay, you're not where you used to be, but you're not yet where I've called you to be. And you've not yet become everything that I've called you to become. And he speaks into this process and I love this. In Jeremiah 18, it says, This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. You know, sometimes you have to be in the right place to hear God speak. And you got to make sure. This is why this is so important. God speaks to you through the word, but there's something about getting in the presence of God for God to give you a timely message right for your situation. And there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. Now, this is crazy. You know these things cost like $1,500? And God sends him down. Hey, would you have any potters in the house? I'm not a potter. Just a few more minutes' time. I am so sorry. I know everybody's fingers are getting tired this morning. I'm about to uh, pray again. All right, but he sends him down to the potter's house, and he says, I saw him working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. Anybody in the room, I just wonder, feel broken this morning or a little bit jaded or a little bit marred or a little bit cynical or it was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. But then the word of the Lord came to me and he said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter. So are you in my hand, Israel. And we don't usually do this, but just one more time. I just want to just speak a word over you. Is that okay? Lord, Under the sound of my voice are jars of clay that some of them feel broken and some of them feel cracked and some of them feel rusted and some of them feel like has-beens and some of them are wondering if they have a future in the house of the Lord. But the Holy Spirit of Almighty God is here to bring hope into every vessel and to breathe life into everybody that feels forgotten, abandoned, or neglected. And I just believe 
that under the sound of my voice are people that are going to walk out the door that have walked in not even knowing who Jesus is, but in the next few moments are going to have an encounter with Christ that takes them from death to life. They're going to be people physically healed, emotionally healed, strengthened, encouraged in Jesus' mighty name. And amen. And amen. And thank you, Tom, so much. Um, anybody like roller coasters in the room? Any, we got any roller coaster fans? We got Jennifer, no, not, not, a, not a roller coaster person. My first, okay, this is what made me fall in love with roller coasters. Anybody ever been on Thunder Road at Carowinds? We got, that's an astounding no. Uh, Okay, Six Flags fans, we got (laughs) Six Flags forever. It took me a while to like roller coasters, but I love roller coasters now. Um, I've ridden all the ones in Disney World and Universal and probably the scariest one of my life. I remember I rode the top of the stratosphere in Las Vegas. There's literally a roller coaster on top of it. Uh, That helped me see my life before my eyes. That was terrifying. Uh, when I, I lived in Argentina, I went to this place in Buenos Aires where you literally did a free fall bungee deal. Anybody done that? That was terrifying, and um, I wouldn't recommend it. Anybody like Ferris wheels? We got any Ferris wheel fans? Right on. Okay, so in Atlanta, they have the Skyview. Anybody been on Skyview? It is like a glorified uh, <laughs> Ferris wheel. And, I mean, really, it's a luxury wheel. It's uh, climate-controlled. It's enclosed. It's glass. Um, you can play music through it. It's absolutely incredible. And whenever I have people visit from out of town, a lot of times I'll take them on Skyview, and, and they love it. But can I just make a confession? There is one roller coaster, so to speak, I will not go on. And you can judge me for this all you want to, but I just don't trust the Ferris wheel at traveling carnivals. I just don't. I don't, and you, you can write me a letter, you can judge me, but there's a lot of things I picture of what's going on to this. I, I, I picture like a lot of families that are in the family, and I'll just say that, and they've, they've gone down a lot of generations and decades, and then I, I, I picture somebody under the influence traveling from place to place to make these things spin, and then anytime I'm about to get on one, I just picture in my head, this is how I think, this is who I am, that I'm going to get on that Ferris wheel, and then halfway through the Ferris wheel, something's going to click, break, I'm going to go catapulting through the air, and I'm going to land in a hot vat of funnel cake oil and burn to my death. That is what I picture. When I picture traveling, car- but here's the deal. Whether you're on Skyview or a carnival Ferris wheel or you feel like you are on God's potter wheel, the question is the same this morning. Do you trust the hands behind it? Whatever wheel you may be on, maybe, because here's the deal. Whenever God wants to do something in your life, and that's all of us, if you're under the sound of my voice, God has greater plans for you than you've ever dreamed even for yourself. And God speaks, and he speaks dreams to us, but what happens is there's a process afterwards, especially anybody that God uses in a great way. So God speaks to a guy named Joseph at an early age and says, i got dreams for your life, and one day you're going to be in a place of influence, and I'm going to use you to reach people and touch people. But what happens after God gives Joseph the dream? He spends 17 years on the wheel. And right after he gives him the dream, we find that Joseph is betrayed, neglected, abandoned by those close to him, and left in a pit. And while he's in the pit, he has to decide, will I trust the hands behind the wheel? Because God knows for me to give Joseph a dream, but then to take him to his destiny, I've got to prepare his character. 
And I've got to prepare his endurance. And I've got to prepare who he is on the inside. And I've got to get him on the potter's wheel to conform him to the image of Christ and put durability on the inside of him. But while he's in that process, while he's in the pit, while he's in the prison, will he trust the hands of the potter? Turn to your neighbor and say, he's got you on the wheel. Turn to your other neighbor with a little bit more excitement say, he's got you on the wheel. <laughs> Pastor Brian, I love I love the excitement. So is it okay if for a few minutes today we talk about what the hand of God might be doing on the wheel? I'll take your silence as an absolute yes. So if you're taking notes, number one thing I believe God does with us on the wheel is he reminds us that we're clay. Uh, I don't know if we have the verse up, but in Isaiah it says, Yet you, O Lord, are the potter, our father, and we are the clay. God gets us on the wheel to remind us that we're clay. And that may not sound exciting because I don't see you jumping up and down. But it's important and it's liberating. And here's why. I See, all throughout Scripture, God uses this imagery of dust and clay. He, how does he form you and me? He took dust and he scooped it up and he formed Adam out of the dust and he breathed his breath into him and he became a living being. We see Job talking about God, you formed me and I'm clay. We see Jeremiah and Isaiah using this imagery. We skip over to the New Testament and we see Paul in 2 Corinthians saying, we are just earthen jars of clay that contain the surpassing glory of God. But if we're not careful, I don't want to speak for you, but for me, I just know this. I can, if I don't spend enough time in the presence of God, if I don't spend enough time prioritizing what's important in my life. I may never say it, but I can begin to live like I'm Christ and he's the clay. And he exists for me to mold and to do at my beck and will. And this is important because then what happens is God sometimes has to get us back on the wheel to remind us that he's Christ and we're the clay. And we might have infinite value because I'm a Mago Day. I'm made in the image of God. I got the handprint of God all over my life. There's significance on my life. God has killer plans for your life and for my life, but God doesn't exist for me. I exist and breathe and am made by him and for him. He is the potter. I'm the clay, and I live and breathe and have my being in him. And this is so important because I was talking to the lead students a couple uh, Sunday nights ago. We have a core team in, in our in our student ministry. And I told them, I said, look, I said, I'm one of the most flawed people you'll ever met. If you get to know me, you know that I'm just like anybody else, flesh and blood. I got my flaws and my struggles and my imperfections. But I told them, apart from the grace of God, one of the things that I believe has kept me in the race and preserved me through thick and thin and through mountains and valleys and hell and high water is this, is that I'm so thankful for the benefits of God, but when I got saved as a teenager, I didn't get saved under the preaching of come to God and he'll make life better. I fell in love with Jesus for who he was. I I fell in love with Jesus not for what he could do for me, but for who he is. And can I tell you the greatest thing as I prayed over this message that can happen in your life and my life in 2018 is not for all our goals to come true, but for us to become absolutely obsessed with God like we've never been. For us to become enamored with his presence. For us to fall so in love with Jesus that we can't wait to get out of bed in the morning and spend time with him. Not because we should do more quiet times. Anybody said that recently? But because I got a God in heaven that has all power and all authority and he's my father and he loves me and he beckons me into relationship and adventure and I cannot wait to spend time with him. And so what God wants to do is he wants to remind us, this centers us. You know, when I went, can I just... Again, these are $1,500. It took a while to call and find a place that would let me borrow a potter's wheel. 
So I went out to Jasper. God bless all of you that live in Jasper. That is so far away. Um, but I went to Jasper and got this. And I just asked the lady, I said, walk me through the, the, the whole process. What's the first thing you do with the potter's wheel? And she said, I thought this was so interesting. I am ripping this off immediately. She said, uh, the first thing that a good potter does is center the vessel on the wheel. T- today, some, God wants to center some of you again. You're in the presence of God right now, but priorities have been off whack, and God wants to, he wants to stabilize your life. He wants the roots of Scripture to go deep again. He wants, some of us are reoriented about everything else, and God is an afterthought, and God wants to come back and center us again where eternity is the thing burning in our eyes, and Christ is the thing aflame in our hearts, where the Word of God is having its way in and through our lives day and night. God wants to center us on the wheel. God reminds us that we're clay. Here, number two. Um, God uses the wheel to strengthen us and cleanse us and heal us. We are healed, cleansed, and strengthened. And some of you, you need to hear this. Can I just be honest? This is how I think when I go through a passage. I think, what would it be like? Can I just be honest? If we're clay and I'm on this wheel, this would hurt. Like, I don't know what this is. Carl, you know what this is? Looks like it's, I don't I don't know what this is. But can I be honest? If, if, if I'm on the clay and this weird bone thing is pounding me, that's not fun. But see, what God is doing, some of you, you feel like, I feel like God is killing me when in reality he's healing you. And you feel like God is crushing you when in reality he's crafting you. And I need to tell somebody, he's not punishing you, he's preparing you. See, he says in Ephesians that God has designs on us for glorious living. But here's the deal. We see, God sees the masterpiece and all sometimes we feel, and I'm speaking to somebody today, all you feel is the pain of the process. And you need to be reminded that there's purpose in the pain. I'll never forget a few years ago. You got any honest people in the house? Anybody anybody honest that would say, I know what it's like to struggle. Anybody would say, I know what it's like to have a struggle. I remember, and and hopefully you know that even people that stand up here, like Pastor Allen and myself, they have struggles. And I remember a few years ago, there was something in my life that at the time I was just like, you know, I don't know if that's a struggle. I don't know if it's a, but there was something that off and on, I just, at at times I felt like the Lord deal with, and I was like, no, it's, it's not that big of a deal. And I'll never forget a few years ago. This thing that had been off and on, a struggle, kind of blew up in my face in a moment. and I'll never forget God's grace and in that season through all of that. But I remember one night I was at a church, and I was thinking through all this, processing through all that had happened. And I was starting, and, and I could sense God's grace so strong in that season. And I could sense his power, and I could sense his presence, but I was just processing the pain of everything. And I remember I had a friend call me, and from across the country, and he said, Russ, I've been praying over you. And, and, and he was not, you know those people that are just crazy, hyper-spiritual, they see a demon behind every bush and an angel behind every tree, and, and they just hear from God 24-7. Nobody's ever met anybody like that, okay? You're just being quiet because you don't want to embarrass the person to your left or right. But I remember, this person's not like that. They're down to earth, they're humble, but they call me, they said, Russ, I know this sounds crazy, but God gave me a vision of you while I was praying. And this person had no idea what I'd walk through. But they said, I saw what was a few years ago while God was doing amazing things in your life, certain weeds start to grow. And I saw these weeds start to creep up. And then I saw in a moment the weeds sprout up. He said, but then I saw the hand of your father reach over and grab the weeds and snatch them up and throw them in the trash to never live again. 
And then I saw the father running towards you. And not, not in a punishment way. I saw the father running towards you in love. And he was drawing you away to himself to reveal himself as the character of the father in a way that you have never experienced before. Russ, what are you saying? I'm saying it may feel like the most painful season of your life, but on the wheels where God brings up the roots and the weeds that you've not dealt with your whole life, that God says for you. That same week I had somebody call me. It's crazy. And they said, Russ, I just feel like telling you as I was praying over you that God right now is saying that he has places he wants to take you, but there are things in your life from this season that can't go into next season, and he's creating an infrastructure to sustain what God is going to do. The wheel is where God is saying, I have incredible places to take you, but there are things from the past that you can't take with you into the future. And there are weeds that need to be dealt with here for me to grow the fruit that I want to grow in the next season. I think I have some old saints of God that might would agree with me in this moment that sometimes your worst seasons are your best seasons. And sometimes the seasons you hate the most are the seasons you need the most. And sometimes it's on the wheel where you find out God is more committed to your holiness than your temporary happiness. And he's more committed to what you need than what you think you want. And I, I remember one day recently, I, I, heard, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. I was in the car and say, Russ, sometimes it's when you're groaning in your heart on the outside that you're growing in your spirit on the inside. And God has you on the wheel. Anybody ever received a gift that you hated? Anybody got any really bad gift givers in your family? Anybody? I'll never forget. This was, hor- this was a horrible moment. A couple years ago, I was, uh, you know, my parents are here. And I remember we were at Christmas. And, you know, for those of you that don't know me, I, I just love the city. So people wonder, well, what is this weird-looking guy that dresses weird? It's just, I'm okay. I just love the city. And, uh, and because that I love weird foods, like if, if the food's hard to pronounce, I probably am in love with it. And uh, so I'm a foodie. I love the city. And I remember we were at Christmas dinner table. And usually I don't talk about this. I don't know why I started talking about this. I probably had a lot, maybe too much coffee. But I, I just said, I just hate, I know this sounds whatever, and I don't mean to, everybody's different. But I just am not a big fan of chain restaurants. I just don't like them. I don't love chain restaurants. And I don't know why I got on Applebee's. And I don't want to offend any of you, because I think I've actually taken some of you to Applebee's. And I want you to know I enjoyed the meal. But I just don't like Applebee's. But don't be offended. If we go to Applebee's, I'm good. I'm low-key. I'm, I'm low-maintenance. It's all right. We can go wherever you want to go. But I remember I was just talking about how much I, I was like, I hate Applebee's. The same generic food that they have at all these restaurant chains, whether you go somewhere local or get real food or just go into a city where they have incredible food and incredible stuff, but you just want to go to Applebee's. I'm talking about this at the dinner table. We wrap up Christmas dinner. My aunts and uncles are there. We start to open gifts. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I open a gift card from my uncle. It was Applebee's gift card. And, you, you know, I usually, I usually can have a way with words, and I can find a way. I, 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 said, I said, no, I, there's nothing to say, though. I, words didn't come. And then finally, I'm just being honest, I think I lied. I lied. I said, no, no, I said, the thing is, I said, it's just when it comes to, to generic change, Applebee's actually my favorite. And... And I think I saw my dad in the corner just putting his head in his hands, and I, I saw my mom's side, and, there, and my uncle's like, oh, okay, that's, that's wonderful. But have you ever received a gift that you hate? Look at this verse, if we have it, from James. I love this. It says, considered a sheer, what? Gift when you get the car you want. Consider a sheer gift when you get the spouse that you want. Consider a sheer gift when you get the promotion that you want. 
Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. If you want to not just survive the season but thrive the season, you need to start to begin. Pray for healing. Pray for deliverance. Pray for breakthrough. But while you're on the wheel, see it as the gift that is preparing you for your destiny, that is preparing you for all that God wants to do in you and through you. Because it's a gift. It's a gift that prepares you, and that's the third point. And I promise you I'm going quick. The third thing is this. Number one, we're reminded that we're clay. Number two, we're cleansed, healed, and strengthened. Number three, we're prepared for the future. We are prepared for the future. If you don't mind, throw that verse, that next verse up on the screen. Would you just read this with me? We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. It prepares us for the future. You know, God wants to do so much inside of me and you. There is a world that is dying and going to hell, but there is a spirit that raised Jesus out of the, de- out of the grave living inside of us, And there's unlimited potential of what God wants to do in and through our lives. But the wheel, sometimes it's the wheel of pain. Sometimes it's the wheel of confusion. Sometimes it's just the wheel of hardship. God uses to prepare you for everything that he wants to do in you. And not just, and here's the good news, sidebar, if you need some good news, not just to prepare you for what he wants to do in you and through you, but to prepare you for what he wants to do for you. See, some of us, still have cracks in the foot of the bowl, and we're wondering why God won't pour his blessings into it. Can I tell you, anybody ever seen those horrific, traumatic, like, stories of people that win the lottery and then it ruins their lives? Can I tell you one of the most hateful things God can do for some of us right now is to answer our prayers? Because he's still working on the infrastructure of the bowl. Jesus says, I've got new wine for you, but you can't put new wine into old wineskins. So can we just get practical for a moment? There might be some of us saying, God, I am ready for you to open up the windows of heaven and pour financial provision. And he's saying there's still a crack called tithe. And, and why would I pour more blessing into a bowl that's already leaking that it's going to just drip right through? Why would I open the windows of heaven? Whoever is faithful with little will be trusted with much. If you don't even have a budget, why would you ask for God to pour more in there? God, give me leadership, but I don't yet know how to submit and follow to the leadership that I have. I don't know how to follow, but God, give me leadership. God, I'm not faithful with the little bit of opportunity and influence and stewardship that I have right now, but God, give me more leadership. And he's saying, look, hold on, don't give up, don't get discouraged, but realize I'm still cementing some cracks in the bowl, and if you will stay committed to the process of what I'm doing in you, it's going to blow your mind what I want to do for you. What if Jesus right now, is about to open up the windows of heaven and pour out the aged wine of Naples so large and so fluid that you can't even contain it, but he's still waiting for some cracks in the bowl to get solidified so that you can handle the infrastructure of what he wants to do on the inside of you. So what do we do while we're on the wheel? Well, number one, and they can start the music, I promise you, I'm going to go quick. 
this help anybody? I know this is super simple. This is not deep <laughs> theological. But if this encourages you a tenth as much as it encouraged me, I'm just telling you, God, no eyes seen, no ears heard, no mind can even understand what he wants to do in and through our lives. So what do we do while we're on the wheel? Number one is trust. Again, it goes back to this over and over again. Can I just tell you, the longer I serve Jesus, the more, you know, we complicate it. But it's, it's do you trust him? But Russ, I don't, I don't see, how can I trust him when all, when all this has happened? I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, God is too wise to be mistaken and too good to be unkind. And when you cannot trace his hand, you must trust his heart. You can trust his hands because the potter's hands are pierced hands that bought your freedom and paid the purchase and the price for your sins to be forgiven. It says in Proverbs 3, 5, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Somebody wants to ask me, Russ, can you trust God with a mystery? There's somebody in the room today that you say, I, some people have tried to give you pat answers and you may never understand on this side of eternity why, I mean, we, we have all the theological reasons. We know we live on a broken planet. We know that there's an enemy of our souls and we know, we know all these things, but there's just some things I'm just convinced this we won't know on this side of eternity. But if you trust God with the mystery, he can take even the broken pieces and weave together a masterpiece. So what do you do? You trust. Number two, what do we have? I can't even remember. We yield. We yield. I find it fascinating that God, who's sovereign, remember, we're the clay, he's the potter. He says, can I not do with you, O Israel? What does that mean? It means we have a choice. And many people, with destiny written all over the pages of their life, will never get there. Because when they get to the wheel of pain, they say, I'm out. They say, God, if this is what it means to serve you, then I quit. In fact, if you keep reading in Jeremiah 18, it's actually pretty tragic. The rest of that passage, the rest of that chapter, it actually ends with the children of Israel saying, no, we're not going to trust you. We're going to go our own way. And punishment follows. And you know what I find? Can I, I can't speak for you, but can I tell you just two temptations for me when I'm on the wheel? Is this making sense to anybody? Two temptations for me when I'm on the wheel. I don't want to speak for you. Number one is I run. Anybody just say, God, I want off the wheel. And usually I feel like God speaks to me and says, uh, you're, I'm not getting you off the wheel you're on until I break some things off of you. Because that's the reason I have you on the wheel. But I run. You ever met anybody that just that says, I'm done? I can't handle this. I don't understand this. So I'm, I'm out. Can I tell you the power? You know, C.S. Lewis says what saves a man is to take a step and then another. Can I just encourage somebody that doesn't understand what's going on in their life? Just keep, just stay on the wheel. Just keep trusting. But then here's the second thing, and I, I, I think this is probably what more of us do. Maybe you're like, no, I mean, I love Jesus. I know Jesus. I'm not, I'm not going to run away from God. So here's the second thing I think we do when we know God is trying to develop us or mold us or do something deep in our lives is we don't run, but we numb. We busy ourselves. Or we self-medicate. Or we just watch TV until we forget about it. Anybody? Or we just find any way we can to distract. But can I just tell you, can I tell you something, Tim? One of the beautiful things I found, and I'm a restless young man. 
can I tell you one of the most beautiful things I found in Jesus, and this may sound weird, is the bittersweet beauty of learning to just sit with Jesus in the pain. You know, a great, uh, a great giant of the faith passed away this week, Billy Graham. One of my favorite quotes by him is he said, you know, the mountaintops are for inspiration, but fruit is grown in the valley. Fruit is grown on the wheel. And can I tell you the greatest purpose of the wheel is just to make you more like Jesus. And to drive, some of you are wondering, God, why did this happen? And it may be the enemy, but it could be God said, I allowed that to happen because that's the only thing that would cause you to climb back on the wheel. And so can I just encourage somebody today that you've been tempted to run away from the whole thing or just numb yourself and busy yourself and self-medicate. Learn what it means. Not to, I'm not talking about staying stuck in sorrow or just isolating yourself in an unhealthy way, but learn what it means to just sit with Jesus in the pain. You will discover in those moments some of the sweetest friendship moments with God than you will ever find anywhere else. Because God is in your tears and God draws close to the brokenhearted. We yield, we trust. What else we got? I know I got to hurry. We dream. Listen, if God has masterpiece plans for your life, the only way you can endure the pain of the present is if you allow God to give you vision for the future. To say, God, this is the masterpiece that I believe you're creating. Some of the greatest things some of you could go home and do is, is go home and journal with your spouse or by yourself and say, God, speak to me about the next five years. Speak to me, God, about what, how your dreams of the masterpiece you want me to grow into spiritually. God, speak to me about financial vision. God, speak to me about family vision. God, speak to me about what you're wanting to do in and through my life. The Bible says where there is no vision, people perish. And if you got no vision, you'll perish on the wheel. You know what the wheel is, don't you? The wheel is the wilderness. It's where God's brought you out of Egypt, but you're not yet in the promised land. And it cleanses and prepares. And then finally, worship. 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 Logan's here. I'll never forget his uncle was my youth pastor. From seventh grade through the time I was like 23 or 24 to where we went and planted a church in Lexington. He was my hero, still a hero to this day. And I'll never forget walking into Jason's Deli when I was like 22 years old. And anybody love Jason's Deli? That is a place I do like. And I just recently found this out, actually. Did you know, sorry to break the moment, but did you know that the, the salad, the buffet bar with all the nuts and the muffins, that's not free? That's part of the salad bar? I've been robbing for a decade. I didn't know that that was not part, so I just found that out. So I feel like I need to pay penitence to Jason's Deli. But anyways, I'm walking in Jason's Deli, and I see his uncle and Regina... His uncle's wife, his aunt, sitting at a table, and I go over, and I, I remember that they had a doctor's visit that morning, and there's that weightiness and that awkward moment, and I said, well, Regina, what did they say? I just hated how long it took for her to look up, and she said, it's cancer. And you know, Lee, Logan's uncle just lost his father a couple days ago. And in that season, we're getting ready to plant a church. All hell broke loose, and I'll never forget it. And I remember they got the report of cancer. And by the grace of God now, Regina's been cancer-free for six years. But some of you in the room, you know what it's like to get that report. We got people in the room that you know what it's like to get that report. But I'll never forget watching that next Wednesday. 
Lee sit in front of five, the student ministry going to 500. And I'll never forget watching him sit there and with her on the stage. And they talked a little bit about the cancer, but they spent an hour just bragging about Jesus and just talking about how good God is and how faithful he is. And he told me afterwards, he said, son, they've spent years watching me brag about Jesus in the valley, but now they get to watch me talk about how good God is in the lowest place of our life. About two months later, she had to have major surgery, a double vasectomy. And I remember he told me, he said, son, he said, I woke up that morning and I looked over at the clock. And you ever been there where you're just staring at the wall and life hurts so bad that you feel like you can't move and you can't breathe and you don't know what to do? He said, for an hour, I just stared at the clock knowing that soon we'd have to go to the hospital. He said, and then all of a sudden, something came over me. And he turned around and he said, Regina, we're not going down like this. He said, I put on a worship album. He said, we spent the next hour not asking God for a thing, but just declaring the faithfulness of God and changing the atmosphere in that room. And somebody under the sound of my voice, you may be in the toughest season of your life, but you need to tell all of hell, I'm not going down like this. And I may be on the wheel, but I got a choice to spend my time on the wheel whining or worshiping. That I may be hurting, but he's still holy. And I may be frustrated, but he's still faithful. And I may be disappointed, but he's still deserving. And if he never does another thing on this wheel, he made me, created me, gave breath to this dust of this body of mine. He came for me, died for me, saved me, wiped away all of my past. And if I don't do another, and you know what? They didn't stop there. I think we got one more word, and it's work. It's work. Even while you're on the wheel, we moved to Lexington, Kentucky, and and you know the first thing Regina did when we got there is she called UK Hospital and said, you know what, it would have been great if when I arrived and I got the news about the cancer, if there would have been a spirit-filled lady waiting for me down the hall to process and pray with me. And she said, and I just want you to know, anytime you have to give a lady that news, I am available to come to the hospital and to pray and to process She said, here's what she was saying. I may be on the wheel, and I would have never chosen this wheel. But while I'm on the wheel, God, would you take my pain and turn it into power? Would you take my crushing and turn it into anointing? Would you take the pressing and make an oil so sweet that it brings glory to God and it blesses and helps other people? I need somebody under the sound of my voice to hear there is purpose in the pain. And you may not understand everything on the wheel, but it is leading somewhere because God who works all things together for your good and his glory is taking the broken pieces of your life and he is doing something on the inside of you. And I know we got to come to a close. I want to talk to you. There is somebody in the room. Anybody just have somebody you can be completely honest with? No one. That's not good. That's not good. That's, that, that is, that, that's what we need to start with. You need somebody you can process honestly with. I, I told somebody one time, I said, okay, if I'm, if, if I'm a jar of clay, can I, I feel like somebody just dropped me from the top of the Eiffel Tower. No one's ever felt that way before in this entire room. You're so holy, so perfect, life so great. No one's ever, anybody ever felt like David that says, I'm shattered and oh Lord my God, how long until you, anybody? Do we have the, the picture of that? 
That's how some of you feel this morning. I, I, somebody sent me this thing a few years ago, and I, I just thought it was so cool. And I wondered, God, when, when can we talk about this? But there's this uh, Japanese art that's becoming really popular again. It's called kintsuji. And it started in the 1500s where this Japanese shogun, he uh, would send and they'd export cracked pottery to China, but um, they wouldn't do a good job. They'd send it back. They'd put, like, metal staples in it. It would look horrible. It would just look gross and unsightly. And, and so he said, this has got to change. So this concept called kintsuji was born out of it. And, and would you show the next picture? It's the art of restoring broken pottery by using gold lining and gold epoxy. And the concept, the Japanese concept is this. It is taking what is broken and redeeming it to where it has even more value before the brokenness. Where God takes the broken pieces and said, I am the Lord who redeems you. And I am the one who can restore even the years that the locusts have eaten. And I can take every piece, the broken pieces, the horrible pieces, the ugly pieces, the pieces you don't want anybody to see, the pieces that you say, I got to hide that from God. God would never love me. Nobody else would ever care about me if they really knew the real truth. The pieces that you regret, the pieces that you wish, I wish they wouldn't have done that to me. And now I'll never be the same. Somebody needs to hear this so that you can forgive somebody. Your, some of you say, I just feel the Holy Spirit want me to tell somebody. This isn't even in my notes. But you keep saying, if they wouldn't have done this, then I would be here or I would be there. But God wants me to tell you, your jar was never in their hands. He's the one that holds the pottery and the pieces in the palm of his hand. And when God is entrusted with the pieces, he can make something so beautiful to where your pain just becomes a platform and he takes the ashes and turns them into beauty and he redeems it to where it's even more beautiful than before. In fact, one of the other concepts of Kintsuji is called motaibi. And it's this Japanese, you know what that means, Tim? Anybody know what Matabi means? That'd be weird if you did. I'm closing, I promise. But it's this, it's this Japanese concept that means nothing should ever be wasted. God doesn't waste one piece of your brokenness. He doesn't waste one tear. He doesn't waste one regret. He even takes the past sins and weaves them together into a masterpiece that is more beautiful than you could have ever dreamed. And I don't know where you are today, and I don't know how broken the pottery of your life feels. But there is a God that takes the gold lining of his spirit and his blood and his power and his word, and he makes masterpieces. In the presence of God, would you stand? And with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're here this morning and for you the first step is I need to give the pottery of my life to Jesus I just need to get on the wheel